Uh, Turn with me to John 13. Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. John 13, verses 31 through 35. As you're turning there, just to reflect a bit on what we just read in the Catechism, I hope you noticed each of the benefits, justification, adoption, and sanctification are the works of God's free grace. And these all benefits come to us through union with Christ. And so, John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35, and we'll be considering the glory of Christ. Give attention to God's holy word. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the benefits that accompany our effectual calling. We thank you that all of these are the work of your free grace, and we pray, Lord, now that by your grace you would work in us through the means of grace, the preaching of your word, a greater measure of faith that we may apprehend our justification, that we may joy in our adoption we might grow in our sanctification, and that we might persevere in all of these things unto the end. And we pray that you would do this all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, some of you may be aware of a concept that uh, unfortunately plagues a lot of our society, and this, this idea is known as stolen valor. Perhaps you've heard of this idea. What stolen valor refers to are those who wish to present themselves as if they had served in the military, as if they had uh, done service in fighting our country's wars and so earned the respect that comes from having been a military service member. Now, for for myself and perhaps those of you who are just civilians, uh, have never served in the military, you might see somebody wearing a uniform and think, oh, they were a soldier or they were a sailor. Or or that one was a Marine, and not think anything of it. But those who actually have served in the military, those who actually have earned the right to be respected as soldiers or sailors or Marines, can see somebody, and they immediately can tell, this guy is not legitimate. This this woman is posing. They're claiming to be a member of this exclusive group, But the way that they wear their uniform gives them away. Some of my military friends have have told me that one of the dead giveaways that somebody doesn't know what they're doing is the the tiny details on the uniform. The name tag will be sort of off-center. The the ribbons and the medals will not be in the right order. The insignia will be off. Even sometimes, I, I was told recently at lunch, some will put an Army badge on a Marine Corps uniform. 
And, and those who know, know that this is completely wrong. They're, they're presenting themselves as military service members, but when you look a little bit closer, they don't really know what they're doing. The display of the glory of the military is off in that person. Well, just like military service, likewise in service of the Lord. You see, there are many who go by the name of Christian. There are many who go, uh, as it were, presenting themselves in the uniform of heaven. But there is a unique characteristic. There's a unique bit of glory that Christ displayed and that his disciples are also to display. And this, this may seem like a minor detail, but this really is uh, the reflection of the glory of Christ in Christ's disciples. Just like in the military, those who have actually served know how to wear the uniform. Likewise, those who are really the disciples of Christ reflect the glory of Christ in their lives. And that's what we're going to see in this passage. In particular, what we're going to see is that the glory of Christ, the unique thing that sets him apart, the glory of Christ is his love displayed for sinners on the cross. The glory of Christ is his love for sinners displayed on the cross, and this is the same love we are to display in reflection of his glory. The glory of Christ is his love for sinners displayed on the cross, and it is this same love we are to display in the reflection of his glory. Our passage is very short and sweet. There's two parts. Verses 31 through 32 is the, uh, Christ's glory with the Father. In verses 33 through 35, Christian's glory with Christ. Verses 31 through 32, Christ's glory with the Father. Verses 33 through 35, Christian's glory with Christ. And so we begin by noticing the context, just to bring uh, those of us who may not have been here for most of this series Verse 31 is a transition verse. You notice that John writes and says, So, when he had gone out. Now the immediate context here is, as we saw last week, the, the one who is going out is Judas Iscariot, the betrayer of our Lord. And Judas goes out and is been filled with the deceptions of Satan, is filled with his own wickedness, he has now gone out from the Last Supper, and it's when this man goes out, the betrayer of Christ, that Christ now says what follows in verse 31. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. It's very important to notice that Christ says, now the Son of Man is glorified. What he's indicating here is that with the departure of Judas and the purposes that Judas is going to execute, now the unique glory of the Son of Man will be displayed. Well, what is going to happen? Christ, uh, uh, Judas the betrayer is going to go to the priests and the Pharisees. He's going to sell his Lord for 30 pieces of silver. 
They're going to send the soldiers. They're going to arrest him. They're going to try him illegally, hand him over to the Romans, and they're going to crucify him. And Christ says, now the Son of Man is glorified. The reason for this is that the betrayal of Judas from a human standpoint, not from the divine standpoint, but from a human standpoint, the betrayal of Judas is the domino that begins the series of events that leads to the crucifixion of Christ. Without the betrayal of Judas, Christ cannot go to the cross. And that for several reasons. First, the atoning death of Christ had to meet two qualifications so that you and I could be saved. In order for Christ to be our substitute, he had first to be completely innocent. Christ had to be guilty of no actual sins, which means that in the eyes of God and in the eyes of men, he is perfectly innocent. Now, you see this all throughout the Gospels. We're going to see it later in Christ's own trial. Uh, the, the Jews accused him of many things, and several times Christ responds to them, if any of you can convict me of sin, do it. And, and nobody's able to say anything. Because the Jews, as well as the disciples, recognized Christ was perfectly innocent. Now, if Christ had to be perfectly innocent, the only way he could be crucified under a Roman judge was by being betrayed by a close associate. That is the only way he could end up on the cross, because he's perfectly innocent. There is no other reason why he would go to the cross except because he was betrayed. Secondly, the death of Christ not only had to be an innocent death, it had to be a voluntary death. Christ had to go willingly to the cross. But now this presents us with a problem. Because in the scriptures, suicide, exposing yourself to death willingly, is a sin. You remember how Satan tempted our Lord at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. He takes him up onto the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, if you are indeed the Son of God, cast yourself down. For it is written, his angels will have charge over you and you will not dash your foot against a stone. Christ responds to Satan and says, It is written, Thou shalt not test the Lord your God. And so to expose oneself to death, either foolishly or willingly, or even to take your own life, is a sin. But Christ had to die voluntarily. Yet he couldn't seek death in a suicidal fashion. And so the only way for him to end up on the cross and be innocent and voluntarily go to the cross was through the betrayal of a close associate. That's why Christ says, now the Son of Man is glorified. Now I'm going to go to the cross and accomplish the purpose for which I was sent. Westminster Larger Catechism uh, 49, it's not in the back of your hymnal, but if you have a chance to go look it up, it speaks about how Christ humbled himself in his death. And part of the way that Christ humbled himself in his death was that he allowed himself to be betrayed by Judas, that he willingly went to the cross and was judged by the Pharisees and the Romans, and he suffered all the pains of the cross, etc., etc. 
Now we've spoken about the occasion for the cross. It's the betrayal of Judas. This is what's going to lead him to die on the cross. But we have to ask the question a little more deeply. Why is Christ going to the cross? He says, now the Son of Man is glorified. God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. The the death of Christ, outwardly speaking, Christ is not the first man to be betrayed unto death. Christ was not the first man who simply submitted to the inevitability of death. Why is it that the death of Christ earns for him this glory from the Father? Well, it's primarily in this. It's the reason why Christ went to the cross. And the reason he went to the cross is because of his love for sinners. The whole reason that Christ is going to die and he's submitting to this betrayal and he's going to go as a lamb that's led to the slaughter is silent before its shearers is because of God the Father and God the Son's love for sinners. Just one parallel verse that that clearly brings this out. Romans chapter 5. Hopefully a very dear verse to you. If it's not, I I hope it is and will become so. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Paul writes and says, When we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man one will die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that we were still sinners. Christ died for us. The divine reason for the death of Christ is because God loves sinners. And the glory of Christ The glory of the cross, though to the eyes of men the cross was the most shameful way to die, in the eyes of God that is the most glorious way to die because that's how the love of God was manifested. That's how the love of God was executed. That's how the love of God was realized for sinners. And so Christ says, now the Son of Man is glorified and God will be glorified in Him. And one other thing that we need to keep in mind about the death of Christ in John 13, at least in in this context. Notice he says in verse 31, the Son of Man is glorified. When Christ offered himself upon the cross, he suffered and died according to his human nature. The divine nature cannot suffer, and it cannot die. But Christ is God and man in one person. And so the nature that suffered and died is Christ's human nature. That's why he calls himself the Son of Man here. We need to remember, though, this will become important when we get into the practical part of this sermon. For Christ, the incarnate Savior of sinners, to offer himself up, he did not do it in his strength, as the Son of God. He did it in His humility and in His piety as the perfect second 
Adam. What do I mean by this? Christ obeyed his Father ultimately by going to the cross through the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. Hebrews 9, verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without spot to God. Notice what the author to Hebrews is saying. He's saying that the blood of Christ, which was offered by the power of the eternal Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, it was offered by the power of the Holy Spirit to satisfy the wrath of the Father. How much more shall this perfect sacrifice atone and cleanse your consciences? Uh, and enable you to serve the living and true God. So, John 13, the glory of Christ is His love for sinners displayed upon the cross. How do you think of the Lord Jesus Christ? Some of us have hard thoughts of Christ. Sometimes, depending on the season of life that you're in or the circumstances that you're going through, it may be tempting to think that God is chasing me with his whips. That God is hounding me with his chastisements. That God, because of my wickedness, God is disposed to destroy me. Remember the glory of Christ. Remember what was displayed on the cross, that this Jehovah who is righteous, and as we sang in Psalm 68, the wicked will perish at the presence of God. But for sinners who are repenting and trying to uh, be reconciled to God through Christ, the glory of Christ is that he loves sinners. He died for sinners. He welcomes sinners back to himself. This is the unique thing that sets Jesus apart from all others. And this is the unique glory that he displays as the Son of God. That's what John goes on to write about. Verse 32, if God is glorified in him, if God's love for sinners is glorified in the death of Christ, which it is, God will also glorify him in himself. And glorify him immediately. Notice what Christ is now saying about his glory with the Father. Christ was not only innocent and voluntary in his death, he was also obedient to his Father. And in his obedience to his Father, his Father sees and says, He has obeyed, now I'm going to glorify him. And the reason that the Father glorifies Christ is because he obediently died on the cross. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul writes, The glory of our King, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, because of his obedient death of the cross, therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so, brothers and sisters, the glory of Christ is His love for sinners displayed on the cross. This is why God the Father glorified Him. And, if you and I would rightly display the glory of Christ, if you would take up the uniform of heaven and not be guilty of a stolen glory, as it were, this is the same kind of love we are to display. You know, I, I was talking to one of my friends about this whole idea of military uniforms, and it's always the little details that military men notice, because that's what, that's what you're trained to in the military, is to pay attention to the details. One of the interesting things about the Marine Corps uniform is that the Eagle Globe and Anchor, I didn't know this, but the anchor always points at your heart. That's just a little detail that only Marines would know, and they can pick it out from a mile away. Likewise, as Christ's disciples, the, the one thing that must characterize us is love. And that's where Christ goes to in the next section. He, he now says to them in John 13, verses 33 through 35, he speaks about our glory in reflection of Christ. He starts in verse 33. Little children... I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. Christ, in his love for the disciples, appeals to them as little children. This is the same language that John uses in his letters. This is the way that God addresses his people who humbly walk with him as his little children. Now, I want to I encourage your hearts. This is a little bit off script, but hopefully it will be edifying. Look at how God addresses you as his people. He, he addresses you as his baby boy, as his, as his uh, uh, little girl. That's how God approaches his children through Christ. You are his little children. Parents naturally have sympathy and empathy and compassion on the baby who is crying and is helpless. That's how God looks at us. Little children... I shall be with you a little while longer, etc., etc. What Christ is reminding the disciples of is the physical display of the glory of God is going to be taken away from you. You see, Christ, as John says at the beginning of his gospel, turn, turn to John chapter 1 to understand the, the point that's being made. 
John 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And there's a very important word in this verse that John uses self-consciously. When it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt, the word in Greek is the word for tabernacled. And so John writes and says, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. For a Jew of the Old Testament, the tabernacle and the temple was the physical display of the glory of God. That was the physical reminder of God's presence in their midst. John is saying that now the Lord Jesus Christ in his incarnation is a a fulfillment of what the temple symbolized. The flesh, uh, uh, the word that became flesh is the tabernacle that dwells among us. And notice what John says. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And those who saw the Lord Jesus Christ and saw the glory of the Father reflected in him in John 13, as he's just said, I'm going to the cross. God's going to glorify me even further. The disciples who saw Christ and loved Christ Because they saw the glory of God in Christ, Christ tells them, that's going to be taken away from you. I will be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, but where I'm going, you cannot come. Now understand the magnitude of what Christ is telling the disciples. All the way up to this point, their only experience of the Savior has been with the physical eyes and the physical hands and the physical presence. Christ is preparing them that I'm going to be taken away and you will not be able to see me, touch me, or hear me with these ears. But my glory is not going to depart from you. Even though the physical manifestation of my glory will be taken away, the moral manifestation of my glory will remain. Look at what he says. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. First, notice Christ says I give you a new commandment. It's uh, a commonplace amongst theologians that the giving of the Ten Commandments to Israel was a display of the glory of God. When God gave the Ten Commandments, the glory of the Ten Commandments is that the law displays the glory of the lawgiver. The lawgiver is righteous, and we know that because his law is righteous. Likewise, the same thing is going on here. The commandment that the lawgiver gives reflects the character of the lawgiver. And so Christ says, I leave a new commandment with you, that you should love one another. Notice also in verse 34, as I have loved you, so also you ought to love one another. Now, how did Christ love his disciples? Well, we just saw it in verses 31 and 32. He loved them 
voluntarily. He loved them by the power of the Spirit. And as Paul makes his case in Philippians 2, Christ loved them by humbling himself. It really comes down to this. The love that Christ is talking about, that we are to have with one another, is a self-sacrificing love that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let Let me apply it this way for us. You and I cannot love each other the way Christ loved us. We can't. You know why? You're not Christ, and I'm not Christ. You're not the Son of God, and I'm not the Son of God. But this is why Christ gave himself by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why the book of Hebrews calls Christ the author and the finisher of our salvation. Christ is the perfect example that we are to emulate. How did Christ obey his Father by going to the cross? He obeyed his Father by going to the cross through the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's the Holy Spirit's power in your life that enables you to actually and sincerely love one another as Christ has loved you. Doesn't mean it'll be perfect, doesn't mean it'll be without fault, but it means it will be sincere and authentic and humble, just as Christ's love for us was sincere, authentic, and humble. And so he says, love one another as I have loved you. Brothers and sisters, I'll just make this application to us as Reformed Presbyterians. I and you, we, need to be better about this. The the common characterization of Presbyterians is that we are the frozen chosen. We are the doctrinaire disciples. And we are often not the ones people first think of as those who love sinners. We need to be better about this, brothers and sisters. Myself and yourselves. We need to display this. Because as we've been learning throughout this passage, the angle of the eagle, globe, and anchor is what tells you if you're real or not. Having the name of Christian is not enough. We must have the character of the Christian. We must have the glory of the Christian, the love of Christ. Notice also, finally, this display is what tells the world that we really are Christ's disciples. Look at what he says in verse 35. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Now, understand the connection here. When he says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples. The knowledge that he's speaking about is a result of experiencing glory. We, we saw this morning in um, Deuteronomy. The Lord makes himself known by his saving acts. The Lord made himself known by the love that he showed to Israel. In displaying his love to Israel, he made his glory manifested. When people saw his glory, they knew Jehovah is God. Likewise here, as we love one another, reflecting the glory of Christ, people will know that we are his disciples. Now what is this going to mean? Just like it meant for Christ, it will mean that you will have to suffer. 
As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love suffers long. Love is a sacrificing grace. Love is a sacrificing virtue. Love is a virtue that does not seek its own, but it seeks the good of the other. This is what we have to cultivate if we would reflect the glory of Christ in our lives, if we would have people know that we are his disciples, and if we would have Christ's name glorified. Now, there's also a promise. The love that we display is not just a suffering love. It's not just a humiliating love. It's not merely a love that reflects the glory of Christ, but it is also a love that God promises to reward with glory. Look in Philippians 3. Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes in this way. Philippians 3.8 But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lo- uh, seven. I'm part, uh, it's Philippians 3.7, pardon me. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And being found in Him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, that the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also has laid hold of me. Why did Jesus put His hand on you? He put his hand on you to glorify you with himself. That's what Paul is speaking about. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the glory of Christ is his love for sinners. You are commanded to display that same glory in your lives, but you are also promised. You're also guaranteed that if you suffer out of love for the saints, just as Christ did, God will reward you with glory upon glory, world without end. Let us love one another, even as Christ loved us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love of Christ, and we thank you for your infinite wisdom in decreeing the death of Christ and in ordaining all of the secondary means that brought him to that cross, such that his death is a perfect substitutionary sacrifice. We thank you also that you have called us into his service and told us how to serve him. We pray, O Lord, that you would help us to love one another as Christ has loved us. We pray you would help us to persevere unto the end, even as Paul the Apostle writes in this passage. And we pray all of this for Jesus' sake. Amen.